Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, and we're back after uh, a pretty stellar episode last week, if we're not blowing our own trumpet too much. But um, yeah, back to more um, the regular action this week. We've been watching the Championship League and enjoying it as always. The sound of trumpets, Phil, in Hackney and in Sheffield has been overwhelming for the locals uh, we <laughs> that was a brilliant episode, wasn't it, with, with John Higgins? The predominant reason for this episode is the Championship League. We'll catch up on a couple of weeks of action uh, from that tournament and look ahead to the climax. But we don't, yeah, we generally do not make a habit of starting off with reflecting on our previous episode. But I think on some occasions it's right to do so, and this is one of those. I mean, what an episode, Phil! It. It was a joy for us to recall, wasn't it, genuinely? We've been overwhelmed by uh, the reaction uh, to it. So many of you have loved listening to John talk at length about his amazing life and career in this sport. Many of you say you've never heard John speak like that. And that's something where we genuinely are really proud of. I think it goes out as one of our best ever episodes, Phil. Maybe our best. I've always said it would take something very special to be the John Virgo episode in my affections. But this feels to me like it's uh, pretty close to that. And in terms of pure numbers, Phil, we can announce that the episode has become our most popular ever, which we're really delighted about, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, John was very generous with his time. Um, it sort of flew by. Uh, well, I hope it did for us. Uh, listeners may say different, but I thought two hours flew by pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, we said this a lot of time. We speak to people at length, but you know, you could have done another two. Really, there were loads of things we, we wanted to ask him. So maybe we'll come back again in the future and we'll do it again. But yeah, no, it was great. Thanks for everyone for listening. Um, glad to see it doing so well, uh, numbers wise, because uh, we really enjoyed it. And uh, John, John deserved it that for all, giving us all that time and those interesting tales, a lot of which we'd never heard before. So yeah, no, it was great. no definitely, it, it really was. It's you know, such a, a joy, really, to hear someone so special in this sport 
over so many years and decades. I mean, obviously because of his age now, his experience, the, the scope is enormous, isn't mm. it? You think about the players, we're, we're talking about players from decades back, you know, that were in the game that John played alongside and knew right up to the present day. So I just love that sort of scope when you get those sort of people of, of a certain vintage. And as I say the numbers are great. More than 4,000 downloads now, more than 6,000 listens on Apple devices. We've had news lines from the episode reported throughout the industry. We never heard Higgins really speak about his ban in 2010 before. It's such a big deal for us that he, he did it here. And that story has been picked up by a number of newspapers and websites and we're number 46 currently, Phil, in the Apple Sports Podcast Charts for Britain. Up there with the likes of Steve Bunce, uh, Gary Neville, huge characters in, in, in public life, really, in, in, in the sporting media landscape, uh, Five Live F1. And currently, Phil, we're one place ahead of the Athletics Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Sorry, Jimbo. We loved you on Football Italia, didn't we? Sitting outside those lovely cafes with those newspapers mm. all those years ago. But you're not above being seen off by a couple of guys talking about snooker into their laptops on their makeshift desks at home when they're knackered after work. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was one of my favourite sort of uh, watching football memories, watching Football Italia. Uh, I was a Fiorentina fan and my dad was a Parma fan. Uh, we split it there and I was cheering on Gabriel Batistuta. But yeah, I don't know what programme that was. Um, yeah, if only we got paid as well as people at the Athletic do, that'd be nice. <laughs> we're, we're, we're more the sort of shillings and, and, and hapenny. <laughs> That's going back a while, isn't it? Old hapenny, Phil. You couldn't get much for those these days. We're, we're more the sort of that, that wing of the financial world. Um, but we are genuinely uh, delighted. We've been inundated with, with response and... Maybe we'll look at some of that uh, reaction now. And, uh, you know, genuinely, it means a lot for us, for us to sort of see that you've really been enjoying the episode. Some reaction then. We've got George Way, and we write to us, friend of the podcast, says, a truly enthralling episode with one of the greatest ever snooker players. Loved every minute of it. Thanks to Nick and Phil, as always, for this. Yeah, this is Judy here. This was an absolute masterpiece. I want to thank Phil and Nick for getting John on the podcast this is my 1998 dream moment. John talking about his life for two hours straight. A true rest blessing. Thanks again, guys. William Callahan says, what a terrific interview with John Higgins. Absolutely fantastic. Many congratulations to both of you. It really was a very enjoyable and fascinating listen. David Cockrum looking on the bright side here. Thanks to delays on the M6 today. I've almost finished it. It's brilliant. Such a great listen. The time just flew by. And next to John, superb interview and a genuinely entertaining and compelling episode of Talking Snooker. Thanks to Phil and Nick for a thoughtful, honest and memorable chat with the legend and gentleman that is John Higgins. A must listen for all snooker fans. Uh, here's Tim. Just want to add to the already huge number of appreciation tweets about the John Higgins episode. A real coup for you guys and a thoroughly enjoyable listen alongside Ronnie's Desert Island Discs. The very open and honest stuff from these greats. Snooker land next. Essential listening for snooker fans. John Higgins usually is interview shy, but he talks about his entire career and many of those matches we all remember. Kudos for daring to bring up the ban. The interview could have turned sour, but John swerved it and talked for another hour. Uh, here's Paddy. Not many people get John Higgins to sit down and talk at length, but Phil Hagen and Nick Metcalf have done it. I loved this interview and listening to the three men chat was fantastic. 
John is an incredible man, and this interview displays that really well. Pinto says, I have to say, this was the best snooker interview I've ever had the pleasure of listening to. John was open, interesting, and compelling. What made it even better was Nick and Phil and their depth and knowledge of the game, which only added to the pure brilliance. And finally, Gareth Williams, friend of the podcast, Gareth Williams, a truly tremendous listen, guys. Amazing for you to get John on. The topics were covered brilliantly by you both. Very well done, guys. Now, that, now that was a bit of self-aggrandizing a little bit, but we really wanted to just say thank you for all those lovely messages because they were really, uh, they were really sort of you know, emotional at times. You know, we enjoyed it. It's nice that our work sort of uh, is appreciated so well. So thanks very much, guys, for everyone being in touch. And that is the end of this new episode of Talking Snooker. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> the shame of it? Um, yeah, no, it was it was brilliant. I mean, we'll, we'll long enjoy it. As I say, there are the John Virgo one is always one that comes to mind. That was quite early in our in our sort of podcast days, wasn't it? A big episode for us. Really sort of felt like it boosted us even earlier. Actually, Barry Erm was on. What an episode that was! That was great. I think mainly from a news point of view, obviously entertainment as well, because it, because it was Barry. You know, big stars like Neil Robertson, Sean Murphy, Kyron Wilson, you know, they, these are sort of great stars. But I think it, in a way, it's just something a bit different again, isn't it, with John Higgins, isn't it? We haven't heard from him at length like that, you know, and just the stories over the years and all his great triumphs, his sadnesses, of course, you know, like most of our lives, the ups and downs, and he sort of detailed them, you know, in such, I thought, you know, humorous, honest fashion, entertaining fashion. I did actually thank John, and I think the way I thanked him was he said, thank you for being so honest, because that was, I think, the key to it, really. He, you know, he, he spoke from the heart, and I mean, the stuff about Alex Higgins, I thought, was, you know, very interesting indeed, and quite sad to hear, but that's just, you know, the, the way things went, and one thing that people picked up on, which I I really liked, it was one of those things on reflection that was really good, was when he was 10-7 down to Judd in the 2011 final and had to sort of sit with his family. And the way Judd explained it was that they he thought that they, they sort of half thought he was finished in the match. Oh, no, you won't. And he had to G them up. And it should be the other way around, really, Phil. People, I think, took quite a lot of humour from that. Yeah, that was funny. Um, can imagine him just. Yeah, I'm still in this, guys. Don't worry. Um, yeah, I mean, it's lovely little things, little backstage things that no one would ever know. That's why you want to chat to these people at length because uh, you know they're not going to come up in uh, your average short chat or press conference or something. That's when you get these lovely little details come out if you have a long old chat with someone. So yeah, stuff that like that was great. It really was, and thank you so much. Available now, of course, that John Higgins episode across the podcast world for the big hitters like Apple and Spotify. And uh, we should say, Phil, people are always saying, you know, you know, we listen to this dodgy, you know, via this dodgy provider and that dodgy provider. It's none of our business. You know, the various nefarious ways you listen, you know, it's not really our concern. We make it sure it goes everywhere, don't we? We, we send it all to the back streets as well. So it could be as dodgy as you like, you will find it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I, I've got a, a place in my heart for those ones, more so than the big hitters, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the contrary nature of us, I think, isn't it, in many ways. Phil, we should move on and say thank you for your response to the John Higgins episode and the Championship League. The end is in sight, isn't it? The tournament ends on Friday and it's been a long old run. 
but kept us entertained, I think, in this in this in the sort of quiet quieter time, of course, the early days and weeks of the season. But because we had John on with us last time, we didn't actually catch up on the second week of action. Which we do want to do, uh, you know, in this episode, we're not going to do it in any enormous detail, but we want to sort of dot the I's and cross the T's as we tend to do. You know, I don't think we're ever going to be a a uh, audio service of record and uh, and and mention every match ever played type thing, but definitely the sort of broad brush strokes of the tournament we want to sort of catch up on if we can and keep tabs on the, certainly those players that have made it through various groups and, and that are still involved uh, this coming week. And I don't think we're missing the stars feel much anymore. That's no disrespect to them, but looking at some of these groups coming up, we were saying before we came on air. Absolute crackers to come really are, you know, some terrific, terrific action. And let's look at week two then and kick off with day one. Ben Wollaston and Xiao Gudong topped their groups on that uh, first day of the second week. Wollaston picking up seven points from his three matches to finish three ahead of Jimmy Robertson. And Xiao Gudong also got seven points in his group, three ahead of Alexander Ersenbacher. Martin Gould third in that group, incidentally. Uh, day two, uh, two evergreen favourites, uh, Matthew Stevens and Anthony Hamilton making it through. Stevens with six points, two ahead of Alan Taylor and Stuart Bingham. So a really good effort there. The other group really tight. Anthony Hamilton five points, Sihousing four points, Ben Mertens three points, Ryan Thomason two points. So Hamilton making it through. Day three, Xiao Yulong and Jack Jones were group winners. Xiao Yulong with six points, two more than Oliver Brown and Chris Totten. Jack Jones with seven points in his group. That's three ahead of Jamie Jones. And also that group with Dean Young and Rebecca Kenner. Their match finished 2-2. So Kenner did put a point on the board. So interesting uh, days of action there, Phil. Good to see a couple of evergreen stars like uh, Steemers and Hamilton going through. And Jack Jones carrying on where he left off, of course. He reached the quarterfinals of the World Championship. So if ever there was a good season to take a step up for the next level, this would seem to be it for him. Yeah, he looked good. I watched a bit of that. Um, Jamie Jones in there as well, so that's obviously tricky. Um, and he did a good interview afterwards. He was saying he really wants to push on and he can feel a, a tournament win not too far away. And uh, I don't know, yeah, maybe it is. I mean, he was really impressive in Sheffield, wasn't he? And it was great to carry that on. Um, he hasn't really got close to winning a tournament yet. He's got to a few uh, quarterfinals, you know. Was, um, but he's sort of a player on the rise for sure and that's encouraging to see him keep going I suppose the biggest surprise out of all that lot you just mentioned was Stuart Bingham finishing third in his group he was uh, clearly the top seed there and uh, you know I'm sure he did have an enjoyable time off over over the summer but you always expect him to come raring in because he doesn't take much time of practice unless he absolutely has to um, so yeah that was a great win for Matthew Stevens um, what I watched you now I watched quite a lot of we know we've got a, sh- a spot a sh- Soft spot for the sheriff. Easy for you, easy for you to say. <laughs> Soft spot for the sheriff on this uh, podcast. So I did watch quite a lot of his group, uh, and you know he's such a a wily competitor. He was taking on um, um, as always he is really because he's one of the elder statesmen on tour. Some younger competitors, but um, he did very well to come through that. There was one. Oh, that yeah, that was that Zhao Jing game when he was two 0 up, and I can't remember the details now. I think he came to the table needing three snookers. Oh, yeah. In the third frame. And then he won it on a respotted black. So, yeah, Zhao Jing actually did really well. So that was his first day on tour. And he ended up finishing second behind Hamilton. So that's a good effort. But he really got sort of taken to school in that frame there by the wily old veteran to come back and <laughs> hand him a 3-0 loss. So, yeah, it was enjoyable stuff watching Hamilton at work there. 
Yeah, I remember now you put a very nice tweet out, some, something like those words, weren't they? You know, he, he definitely got handed a bit of a lesson there because, and of course it's, um, you know, I should say that, I wouldn't say it's, a, it's, it's an absolutely roaring debate in the game, but you do see it crop up from time to time, people saying that, you know, players play on when they have any too many snookers, frankly, for, for the liking of some people in the game. And I think the more traditionalists will say, oh, no, you know, we, we you know, they can be got. But they're relatively rare, aren't they? So when they, do, you know, it, it, it's good evidence for that side of the argument, isn't it? When you do get a player needing a lot of them, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and it's hard to put a hard and fast rule, isn't it? Because it depends who the players are. Because sometimes you see someone slogging away for them and you think you've got no hope here. But that situation, when it's someone like Hamilton against a rookie, it was like, I've got actually quite a lot of faith in him doing this. So it's well worth giving it a go. So, yeah, I mean, I've heard uh, big names in the game saying sort of four or more shouldn't be allowed, but um, I can't see that rule being brought in, really. No, I think that would be unlikely, um, truth be told. So we moved on to day four then, and the group winners were Long Zhihang and Pang Jung Su. Really good effort from Long, a man who qualified from the CBSA tour in China. Uh, he drew 2 2 with Jackson Page, beat Ali Carter, another evergreen star, 3 1, and then Ryan Davis, 3 0, finishing with seven points, two ahead of Page. Pan Jung-soo, well, he walked his group, won all three matches to finish with nine points, five ahead of Wu Yiza. Uh, Hamad Mir was in that group as well with two points. And Stan Moody with one point. Moody actually drew 2-2 with Hamad Mir to win a point as he begins life on tour. Not 17 until September, Phil. Absolutely wow, horrible in many ways. <laughs> horrible for us. Um, day five, Robert Milkins and Sam Craigie making it through. Milkins with seven points, one more than Dominic Dale. Milkins uh, then heading through, as is Craigie that day, who finished with seven points, uh, also two ahead of Fang Zhengzhi and three clear of another friend of the podcast, Fergal O'Brien. I say I watched some of that fan against Fergal match and I uh, really enjoyed it that afternoon on YouTube. Just a 29 years difference between them, Phil, but... There was some proper tablecloth from Fergal, which you'd expect, but also from his opponent too. It was a nice sort of interesting contrast. I really enjoyed watching. Uh, day six, Siege Waihe and James Cahill making it through. Of course, Siege Waihe, who famously reached that World Championship semi-final. He finished with seven points, three ahead of Mark Joyce. Last year's African Championship winner, Mohamed Ibrahim, was third in that group as well, incidentally. And Cahill made it through. Both him and Matt Selt finished on six points in that group, but Cahill won 3-0 against Selt in the last match to make it through. So plenty to talk about there, Phil. Uh, I mean, hell of a story with Long Hang, isn't it? It's a brilliant effort in that group to get through and uh, see carrying on where he left off at the Crucible. I mean, it would have been enormously painful what happened between that semi-final. But the overall story has to be what confidence you'll take from that sort of memorable run. Yeah, definitely. I mean, on a bigger scale, what we're seeing about Jack Jones is nice to see him continue that because uh, he's been back to China. He's playing stuff over there. He was in part of that sort of unveiling of the Macau Masters. So he's had a he's had a bit of a mad summer, really. A lot of new experiences for him. But to come back and kick off with in a winning way is uh, very encouraging. It's going to be really interesting to see how he gets on this year because you know he looked absolutely incredible at the Crucible, but there wasn't much. There wasn't a huge amount of evidence of what was to come before that. So. Um, if he can kick on, it'd be great to have a new start at the top of the game. And as you said, uh, Long Zhihuang, don't know a lot about him, came through the CBSA tour, 
he's not a complete youngster. I think he's 26. Um, so still a young man, but you know, he's not a fresh faced teenager, but yeah, great stuff to come through that group with Jackson Page and Ali Carter in it. So very impressive there. And that Pang group, I think we I'd mentioned before about that was an attractive looking group with Pang, Wu, Hamad Mir and San Moody. And yeah, Pang Junju is just so impressive. Um, it was his crucible debut and he got the toughest draw possible against Ronnie and acquitted himself well. I mean, I think it was 10-7. I'm just going to have a memory here, something like that, but it was close. Um, and yeah, he, he's very, I was going to say steady, but it's a bit better than steady. Um, just making his way up the rankings very impressively. So expect good things from him this coming season. And yeah, I watched a bit of that Milkins group. I watched, uh, Milkins against Dale, I watched the last game. Neither of them were very happy with the conditions, I seem to remember. But um, more good stuff from Robert Milkins. You know, he's, his Indian summer of his career continues with uh, more good results there. Yeah, I think that <laughs> we're on funny ground with the tables because I think the overall, I always had that voice in my head from various wise heads in the game saying that actually the table fitters do a, a, a pretty special and amazing job actually on the whole. But I think it's fair to say that some of the tables, I think particularly on the YouTube table, as I think of it, um, it seems to have, the, the balls have been running a bit funny, actually. Not not always running true, if, if truth be told. But li- listen, these things happen, especially over a sort of lo- long tournament. But there have been a, a few complaints. Yeah, I'm not sure if the weather had any effect because there were some, some days I was watching it and it was really hammering around us outside and you'd hear it on the roof. And quite often when it's damp outside, sometimes that can affect conditions. I'm not sure if that's what they were complaining about but for, for a summer tournament it has been it has been very wet outside for some of those days which can make an impact sometimes it started raining here phil you can probably see outside my little yard at the back here and uh yeah uh, classic we good old british summer at the moment isn't it yeah. when it's me it's um you know well it's, of course we've had a whole uh, you know a serious point on weather that you know desperate heat wave taking place in various parts of Europe and, the, uh, and in various parts of the world. And uh, we had one here, of course, in the UK last summer, but at the moment, very different weather here at the moment. Well, we move on to week three, shall we? Not the weather channel, is it, Phil? Um, Just <laughs> the last Monday. And, um, well, it was knock on Sankham and Michael Holt who won their groups on that day. Uh, knock on finishing with seven points, two more than Mark Davis. Now, Michael Holt came in for Ronnie O'Sullivan, didn't he? And, uh, well, he finished with six points, the same as Alfie Burden, but uh, Holt going through on frames one. So that was very interesting there that day. And so was last Tuesday when Judd Trump and Joe Perry won their groups. Trump with seven points, uh, Zussi, uh two behind on five. Uh, actually, Rian Evans, four points, and Jimmy White, no points. Neil Poir, unfortunately for Jimmy. Uh, Rian beat Jimmy 3-1, Andrew 2-2 with Zussi to end up with four points. Jimmy, a bit on the unhappy side from from what I was hearing at times that day. Uh, Perry was seven points in his group, one more than Jamie Clark and Stuart Carrington was third in that group. So quite a decent group, that. And, well, I, I imagine Judd would just about be favourite, wouldn't he, now to win it, Phil? And uh, if, it, if that is the case, that's probably about right. As for Michael Holt, tale as old as time, like Denmark on the beach all those years ago, Phil. Beware the late entry. Yeah, definitely. I'd, uh, I spoke to him when, um, I don't think it'd been officially announced that he'd replace him running, but I'd seen it somewhere, so I gave him a call. Um, and yeah, he said he hadn't been doing too much work because he wasn't expecting to be playing. He was quite a long way down the old top-up list from Q School, but uh, came in there and uh, great stuff. Yeah, I guess Scott Donaldson was the the, the highest-ranked player there comfortably, but he had a bit of a, 
uh, a day to forget. Um, Holt beat him first, but then lost to Rod Lawler. So I think he went, as far as I remember, went into that game with Burden, needing to win 3-0. And I think he'd play, he played, he stayed on after losing to Rod Lawler. And I think his head wasn't great because he, he really had a, a, a thrash at a long blue in that game early on and the blue went flying off the table. Um, so I thought, mm, not, I don't really fancy his chances of winning 3-0 here, but he got his, he got his composure back and uh, ended up winning 3-0 and topped the group. So, yeah, great result for the hitman. And if you can hear my dogs barking, that's what that odd noise is. Is that, is that the mention of Vod Lawler? Is that one of those things that as soon as the dogs hear the name of, of, of Vod, Vod Lawler, they go half <laughs> yeah. I've right. trained him. That's my attack word, Rod Lawler. <laughs> It's quite uncanny that since you mentioned Rod, they have been thrown into some kind of frenzy. Not always <laughs> the reaction. Frenzy, not always the word that comes to mind when it comes to dear old Rod, of course. But um, but yeah, no, it's it's good. It's good to hear them there. They're in the background, Phil. And uh, we were telling you, you did some lovely walks lately, haven't you? A bit off topic. You were talking about going to Bradfield with me with the, with the dogs, and you, of course, you're in a beautiful part of the world. Another tangent here. You're in a beautiful part of the world for for going away, aren't you? Very near the Peak District, so. Great, great, great areas to walk with those dogs. Yeah, yeah, Bradfield, I would definitely recommend. We took them to Chatsworth House at the weekend as well because they had some family up. So, yeah, it's nice around here. And they get treated. Um, but they, they maybe not today after interrupting the podcast there. They're in the dog house, are they? Yeah. Oh, what I did there. Right, on to Wednesday. Sean Murphy and Sanderson Lam made it through. Murphy really hitting the ground running in the new season there. Three wins from three matches, finishing three points ahead of Tian Peng Fei. Uh, Sanderson now with seven points, two ahead of Barry Hawkins in that group. So that's uh, quite an effort. On to Thursday, David Gilbert and Carrie Peng topping their groups. Gilbert with seven points, one ahead of one uh, Sijun, whereas Carrie Peng won all three of his matches. That was a comfortable group win for him, finishing five ahead of Liu Haoshan. And on to Friday, so we're up to date now. John Ashley and Liu Hongyu topping their groups. Ashley with seven points, four ahead of Hai Long Ma. Uh, Gary Wilson and Mink Nutrat also in that group, actually. They drew their match uh, 2-2, so both did put points on the board in that group. Uh, that Gary Wilson was expected to do better, though, of course, overall. Liu, winner of the Asia-Pacific Championship in May to win a two-year court tour car, won all three matches, finishing with uh, nine points, five ahead of David Lilly. Ricky Waldemar was also in that group and only picked up uh, two points. I watched a bit of that. Lou against Lily actually feel really impressed with, with Liu. He obviously has a maturity about him that, that belies his age. So really impressive effort from him, which you may want to react to. And a strong start to their campaigns from Sean Murphy and Dave Gilbert. Now, Dave was in a right old bad place, wasn't he, when we last saw him at the Crucible? I mean, I was in that press conference one of the during the sort of couple of times I was up there for this recent tournament at the Crucible. And he was, you know... I mean, I don't think, in fairness, we really brought the thing about I won't be playing for a while because I think we know him well enough to know that was just a bit of emotion talking. But he wasn't a bad place. He wasn't faking that. He was not happy about, I think, various parts of his snooker and maybe life beyond that. Obviously, that's private for him, but he just didn't seem in a very happy place. But maybe a bit more cheery now, Phil, making it through. It can only be a good sign for him. Definitely. Yeah. Wins always help. Um, yeah, he, he just lost to Bingham in the first round and... Uh... As far as I remember, he started the game well, but then tailed off quite badly. He was a bit down. But, yeah, good start to the season. Um, I watched a bit of that. He, he drew with a newcomer from India, Ishpreet Singh Chadder, in the first game, um, who actually, you know, he had he looked decent, looked like he's going to uh, make a contribution while he's on tour. But he went all the way down to... Um, there's a quite exciting finale to that group because 
I think Yuan Sejun just needed to get a draw with Gilbert. So Gilbert was 2-1 up and it went down to the colours in the fourth frame. So Gilbert needed to win top the group and Yuan just needed to pinch that last frame to top the group. Um, and yeah, it was it was nervy. It was good. Um, yeah, this is a sort of a low-key start to the season in many ways. But, you know, when it gets to little situations like that, it can be really exciting. So, yeah, Dave got over the line where and, uh, you know, he loves this tournament, doesn't he? He's, uh, he'll have good memories of it. So um, he'll be a force to be reckoned with in the next round. Um, and you mentioned him there, uh, Liu Hongyu. I think he might have been the story of the whole um, first stage, really. I think he's only 19. He came through that um, Asia-Pacific tournament. So didn't know a huge amount about him. But uh, a friend of the show, George Wayham, actually, I read his sort of five players to watch this season. He was on there. Um, and he, he noticed him in Q School last year, I think, making a lot of big breaks. And, uh, yeah, for his first... First game on tour and his first day on tour to beat Ricky Walden is a great start. Then he beat Lily then he beat Pengy Song. So three wins from three on your opening day. Very bright young prospect, scores heavily. So definitely one to watch out for there. Very uh, exciting young talent. I suppose, you know, this is not breaking news. We know a lot of the the brightest young talent is from China because compare that to sort of the guys we know about from here. We know Moody and Liam Paul and Liam Graham. Um you know, they struggled. They did pick up draws or um, Liam Pullen picked up a win and a draw, I think. Um, but for Liu to come out and win three out of three, you know, it's the next level of uh, next level of stuff. So very impressive from him. And yeah, shout out, you mentioned him, Sanderson Lam. Great stuff from him. Um, he would have been third seed in that group behind Hawkins and Zhang Ander. So to top that, I watched a bit of his games against Hawkins and Zhang, I think. Uh, looked really good. So he's obviously been working hard in Leeds over the summer. Uh, so well done to him. Yeah, he's very much one of the graduates from the Northern Snooker Centre, isn't he? Of course, Peter Lyons often talks about it. They're good pals, aren't they? So, yeah, really good effort. Yeah, it was just by chance. One of those, I think it was one of the matches that was earlier in that day that Liu against Lily won. So I just flicked it on, not knowing exactly what match would be on, actually, frankly. But it was that one. And I, yeah, I've really taken by him. So he's definitely one to watch, most certainly. And so we, we move on to the fourth week of this tournament now, Phil. Fourth and final week, starting with stage two. And obviously, because most of the time that the stronger players have made it through, although, as we've been saying, by no means all the time, they really are some appetising groups coming up now in, in, in so many ways in the coming days. Today, then, Monday, we've got Group E, Kyron Wilson, Anthony Hamilton, Chris Wakeling and Sanderson Lam. In Group F, Mark Williams, Martin O'Donnell, Robbie Williams and Barry Pinches. Uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, Group C, Nopon Sankam, Daniel Wells, Ashley Carty, Liu Hong Yu. Group H, Robert Milkins, Pang Jung Su, Si Chui and John Astley. Now, Wednesday, my favourite day, Phil, of the week. My goodness, we have a Group A here of Zhao Yulong, Zhao Gudong, Ben Wollaston and Michael Holt. And Group D, Sean Murphy, David Gilbert, Tep Chaya Anu and James Cahill. I mean, what a group that is, I was thinking, you know, love watching Sean, David, of course, Tech Chaya, you know, he's if he's firing, he's so exciting to watch. James Cahill, if, he, if he's in form, he's such a nice player as well. And then Thursday, we have Group B, Judd Trump, Joe Perry, Carrie Peng and Matthew Stevens. And Group G, Jack Jones, Sam Craigie, Michael White, Long Shi Hang. So some cracking action to come, Phil, there. We, we, I think snooker fans, even those that maybe don't tune in as much for those sort of initial weeks of the tournament, will really want to be tuning in this week. It's really getting exciting, isn't it? 
Yeah, that's the thing. I think that first stage, uh, you can just dip in and out or not at all, as some people will do. Uh, but there's, there is good stuff in there, but it's quite long. You know, it's a lot of build-up. But I think this week of stuff is really good. Th- these groups that you've just gone through there um, are all really good. And then the final day where you get one more set of group stages in the final all on uh, on Friday is a great day of snooker. So, yeah, I mean, I, I completely understand why people um, are not, uh, you know, bowled over by the Championship League throughout the first stage. Um, but I think this week is is great, and as you say, that that group with Murphy and Gilbert and Tetshire is great, and that 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 one on Thursday as well with Judd and uh, Stevens, Perry and Cow, lovely stuff. So yeah, there's going to be some really good stuff to watch this week for sure. Definitely, and we really look forward to to, to these final days of the Championship League. Enjoy them all. Um, available on Viaplay and Matchroom Live here in the UK and on YouTube. People mm-hmm. were saying, oh, we did, didn't know that until you guys said it. I mean, I think, I don't think it's a secret, is it? I think you said you've heard it on commentary a couple of times. And just look up Matchroom or, on the YouTube and you will see one of the tables throughout the week for free on there. And I, that's, that must be that's the way I've been following it. I don't think I have access to, to Viaplay. The way I watch um, posh telly, as I still call it, um, <laughs> like Sky is kind of through now now TV. That's the way I've chosen to do it at this stage in my in my sports watching life bill so i don't think that that via play comes through there but uh, i'm enjoying the service on youtube and various other ways to watch around the world and what do we say we don't take responses for ourselves we say check the wst website or the championship league snooker website in this case they'll do the job hopefully for us all and uh, there's various ways for you to watch so enjoy enjoy the rest of the tournament and you know it is interesting to think phil you know that by the next time we speak on this podcast, we will know the identity of the first ranking event winner of the season. And that, there is a sort of frisson about that, isn't there? No doubt. And let's face it, you know, it's not always the biggest pointer in the world, but it can be. It really can be. And have we ever had a better example than Luca Purcell, winner of the first event, maybe the smallest event of the whole season, and then the biggest right at the end. I mean, that just shows the confidence you can get from a ranking win. When we're long gone, Phil, decades in the future, and people are looking back at tallies of ranking tournaments, they're probably not going to say, oh, that was that one, that was, oh, that was only the Championship League. Uh, ranking tournament is a ranking tournament, which Dave Gilbert will tell us more than most. And uh, he's only one, of course, still. So there is an importance to what's coming up, not just for this, but potentially the weeks and months to come. Oh, 100%. And 33 grand for the winner, 33,000 ranking points. Um, it's huge. And... Yeah, you know, it's it's never random. There's always one that it's always a recognisable name, even if it's one that not one of the very top names. But everyone who's still in it will think I've got half a chance here of picking up a big win, um, a lot of points. And, you know, we speak about someone like Michael Holt. He's not on tour. If he if he could win this, you know, that he'd be back on through the one year list next year. I mean, that's a long way to go. So, but yeah, it's a great opportunity for a lot of players here. Um, some of those groups are more open than others. And, you know, if you can definitely get through to the finals day, then it's really up for grabs. So, um, yeah, it's the business end now. So, uh, Will, there's plenty to look forward to. And a lot on the line, as you say. Get that ranking tournament on your CV. Get that money in your bank account. Great stuff. Indeed. And enjoy the rest of the the Championship League, everybody. We should say you are listening here uh, to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And Phil, we did say to ourselves, didn't we, that we'll do correspondence if there's time. I think there is time. I think we, we will press ahead and catch up with your views. We did that in detail with Jeremy Wilson, of course, recently. What a cracking guest he was. But we have a, had a, some more in, and thank you for that. So we will turn to that uh, now and kick off with Rude in the Netherlands, who says, hello, guys. First of all, love the podcast. With the recent match-fixing scandal, we've heard much about the Chinese players and how being in a foreign country, having limited social contacts outside snooker, etc., may have played a role in how this could have gotten so out of hand. Do you guys know of any documentaries or reportages about that's an odd word you hear too often, reportages about the journey Chinese players have to go through to make it in this sport from China's academy, domestic competition, the snooker culture and making the jump to go and live in the UK and become a full time professional. As a Dutchman myself, I notice most of the quality snooker reporting is from the UK and very UK focused, which is logical, of course. But with the Chinese snooker scene being so big and so important for snooker, I notice I'm actually quite interested in that part of the snooker world also. But it's difficult to get insights into that through the English speaking media. Keep up the good work. Rude. I mean, yeah, you're probably right, Rude. Snooker reporting is dominated by the UK. I'd argue, actually, snooker itself is quite dominated by the UK. Probably too much more than we'd want, most certainly. Absolutely no doubt about far more than we would want, even though we are UK journalists. We're, we're from the UK. Um, part of that pandemic, we know that. Not all of it, but a, a, a good part of it. There are some very good Chinese journalists, actually. Um, we've not seen so much of them since the pandemic struck, certainly over here. And a number of our prominent journalists I can think of have covered tournaments in China and done some decent reporting from there. We're not overladen with with, with literature, I suppose we put it like that which links into what we were saying when Brendan Cooper joined us. We're not overlaid, we're literally full stop in this sport, actually. But I did 
there was one programme I present I wanted to uh, tee up, Phil, which is still available, presented by Stephen Hendry. I know we'll talk about some more stuff that Stephen's been doing lately. This is a few years old now. It's called Young, Cool and Chinese. I remembered it when we were, when I read this email while preparing and had a look up, and it's it's still available now through BBC Sounds. It is a really nice programme. There's some nice insights there into the sport in China. It's called Young, Cool and Chinese. It was actually a really nice programme that Jamie Broughton presented as well from BBC News about snooker in China. I don't think that is available now, but keep an eye on that. That might come back. That was also a few years ago. So most of our colleagues have done some a bit more sort of deep diving into the sport over there. But listen, your overall comments are correct. And although obviously we... We love reporting about this sport. You know, it's also a bit of a frustration to us, isn't it, Phil, generally, that, you know, we're, so much is happening here and we just want to... I'm do, no good on, a, on, a, on an audio service, really, Phil, but I'm doing the, the pushing out motion with my hands. We want to push the boundaries out as much as we can, you know, all the time, can't, don't we? And it's sort of stem this sport beyond these shores type thing. Yeah, definitely, yeah. It is hard. Um and yeah, there's often Chinese journalists at uh, tournaments, um, especially the big ones in the World Championship, obviously. Um, but a lot of their reporting is sort of vid- they do a lot of video stuff, don't they? Um, uh, and then that's sort of harder to use and get ahead uh, and sort of translate back because you can't stick it through Google Translate or whatever. Um, so it's difficult. Um, I was also thinking about there was what I'm sure it was the World Championship a few years ago, and they did a really nice piece, although a bit awkwardly now with. Uh, Jiao Jintong and Yan Bing Tao and another player, and I can't remember which one. Um, but they would did there was a nice long piece about sort of their journey over here and life in Sheffield and what it's like from China. But I can't find that online. I did have a good route around, but if anyone knows where that is or can send us a link, then please do, because that was quite good. Um but yeah, I mean, personally, I, I, I it is really interesting. I agree with Rude on this. Now I, I I've been down to like the academies in Sheffield and chatted to some of the players and done a few pieces with them. Um but yeah, and I'd love to do more. So hopefully I will uh, in the near future and uh, get some more stories about, you know, what it's like, uh, the differences and uh, moving to an alien country and uh, develop and uh, adapting over here. Because it is, you know, it's fascinating stuff and we probably don't hear enough about it, really. No, that's a very good way of answering. And, and you're absolutely right. that you, you, You've got a season ticket to Victoria's now virtually, haven't you? They, 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 they wave you in, say, come in, Phil. You're always welcome. And, you, you know, you've done some... Some, some lovely interviews. Is there also a, an interview with one of the snooker reporters going around Yan Bin's house house when he recently moved in? Oh, I am naughty, aren't I? Really? I, I, I don't know. I don't know if we, maybe, maybe not, maybe not that one. Um, but anyway, no, it, it is frustrating, isn't it? Um, you know, at times, you know, we call it snooker a global sport and we always will because it is. And, you know, they're, they're not, you know, when we sort of do that sort of flippant thing about check WST for where you can see events, it's a tremendous number of countries on those lists now. People tune in from all over. We know from our figures, Phil. I mean, by the way, talk about the UK chart. We're riding high in India. We're in the 30s. Oh, lovely. So, you know, people, you know, it's so nice to think people in, you know, Bombay, Mumbai, as, they, as it's called now, and, and you know, various Delhi might be tuning into us or just wanted to hear more about the game. It's it's great. You know, there was a tournament in India, of course, not so long ago. What a huge market that potentially still is. China, we know, is obviously huge. We'd obviously love to, you know, it's a, it's a bit of the elephant in the room, isn't it? 
America. I mean, cracking America in anything is bloody hard. But there are a few more positive noises like that, aren't there? Women's tournament there, of course, regularly now. Uh, different Q sport, I know, but Paul is, you know, always very popular there. So they're hardly that different in terms of games. So there, there, there are possibilities, hopefully. But, um, yeah, we just have to, I guess, you know, keep banging that drum, don't we? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think India is an especially interesting one. Um, keep hearing that the Indian Open is imminently going to return to the calendar, so that would be good. And they're making a bit of a push for to find new players there. And as I said, um, Ishpreet Singh Chadha, who played in Dave Gilbert's group, looked pretty good. So, yeah, the markets are developing. There is interest everywhere. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, the same thing with everything. You know, uh, getting being allowed the time and any sort of budget and... Uh, to report on snooker at home is hard enough. Never mind jetting off to cover it anywhere else is pretty uh, pretty tough. So, but we'll keep going. I think you, it's your turn next, sir. Are we done? Dirk? I don't mean done, Dirk. Yeah, have we? Are no, we... here's Dirk Hammers. Uh, hi, Nick and Phil. Uh, I'm from Germany and love watching snooker on Eurosport for many years. A while ago, I lighted upon your podcast. Uh, I enjoy listening to you and your guests, as well as listening to Sean Murphy's One Four Seven podcast. Not only do I like the insights into the world of snooker, but for me, it is also a way to improve my English by listening to people from different parts of Great Britain talking in colloquial language. Happy podcasting and all the best from Germany. Cheers, Dirk. Oh, well, happy to help. Um, if only our English could help improve your English, I'd be flattered if it does, but surprised. <laughs> Love to hear from people in Germany. Now, that is, I mean, that, you know, let's not be complacent, but, you know, Germany is a cracking. Uh, country for, for, for the for the growth of snooker in the last sort of what 10 dozen years a couple of cracky tournaments in germany we have and the german master has been one of one of snooker's great modern success stories isn't it so we genuinely love listening to to any of our our, our german fans uh, talking about that reminds me haven't we you broke this news to me haven't we got a little story about the podcast going in a in a tournament program soon nice little bit of a boost for our international following Hopefully so, yeah. Lula, who uh, has been in touch a few times, she she wrote up a review of some podcasts on her site. So, and she says it's going to go into the European Masters program as well, which is very nice. But that reminds me, I need to send the photo over. So, well done. <laughs> I hope the photo doesn't put anyone off their breakfast in 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 in, in Germany in that forthcoming tournament. But no, lovely to hear from you, Dirk. And on to Kelly Barkner, another friend of the podcast. Goodness me, if we get all the friends of this podcast together in a room, Phil, well, we need. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm not saying the Albert Hall, that's a bit... <laughs> but we need quite a big room, wouldn't we? <laughs> Here's Kelly. Just heard my name on the podcast when talking about the best seats at the Crucible. This is the email we had from James Ellison, of course, recently. Kelly says, C29 was my season ticket for many a year, just along from where James mentioned. It was a lovely view behind Bulk and could see practically all of the other table. In recent years, I've sat everywhere, and we know in Kelly's case that is absolutely the case because, of course, her and, and Chris Downer are, are absolute crucible fanatics, maybe the most fanatical of, of all. They're certainly up there. Kelly says, I always try for behind bulk in the hope of seeing both tables or at least can keep half an eye on what's going on. This year, though, we discovered seats P59 and P60. Absolutely incredible view. Back row, table one. Not a view of both but a superb view of table one next to the step, no one in front of the end seat. And I fell in love with sitting up there this year. So much so 
that I've got about a dozen seats in P59 and P60 next year. Well, great to hear from you, Kelly. And as I say, any of those other Crucible regulars or indeed anyone that's been to the Crucible, let us know if you have a particular favourite spot. In some ways, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. I love the sort of nerdiness, nerdiness of this. But on some levels, of course, it is an element of being redundant because every seat, as we said in that arena, is great. Mm. As, as Jeremy was saying, we were saying when we talked about the email we got from James recently, you know, we now are up at the, up the top, aren't we, in the press seats? And even from there, right at the back, I mean, the, the irony is that's supposedly one of the quotes, some quotes, complaints about the Crucible and why we have this debate that I know many of us are tired of about, um, you know, whether it might move from there one day. The idea is not big enough. But, of course, for those of us that love and adore the place, that, that's almost one of the things we love the most, that it's so intimate and has that, you know, just perfect capacity in terms of the fact that you know, don't get a bad seat. But no, really nice to hear from Kelly. Uh, there might be a rush on a rush on for, for tickets for those those seats now, Bill. Uh, yeah. P69 and, uh, and, and 60. So great to hear from Kelly. And uh, yeah, the Crucible seats debate will go on. Yeah, absolutely. But as you say, uh, there aren't any bad ones. But yeah, I guess it's up to the individual uh, attendee, isn't it? Yeah, you might want to see a bit of both or just... Up, up for the best view of, uh, of one table, but yeah, um, but yeah, Kelly knows more than more than most which ones uh, which ones are the good ones. Um, there's Gary Moss on email, I think it doesn't really matter. Uh, hello, Nick and Phil. An age-old point of debate, but surely the Championship League doesn't do enough to whet the appetite as a campaign curtain raiser. The champion of champions feels like the perfect fit for the job. All the previous season winners, a decent prize pot, an established TV broadcaster. What is the blocker here? Thanks, as always, for all your hard work and entertaining audio across the season. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I've thought that when we're thinking about what is the best opener, and I I've agree with Gary. I think Championship Champion Champions would be the best in principle. Because um, at the minute, the sort of the champion, the which champions get in there runs across two seasons. And if it was just all the ones last season, that'd be nice. But I guess when you're asking what, the, what is the blocker, it's down to the same thing as always. When does the broadcaster want it on? I know we have got an established broadcaster with that on ITV, but they don't necessarily want a snooker tournament on ITV in the middle of the summer. Um, I don't know. We'd have to go and ask them. But, um, you know, is the venue available then? All, all the usual things. But, yeah, in terms of just what tournament would be nice to start the season, then, yeah, I think the Champion Champions would be great. Um, but yeah, it's the same as always when the TV guys want the tournament and and when the venue is available, um, we just don't know if it, that is the thing then, really. You know what? You're getting a nice way of saying it and you haven't had one of those for a while, but you deserve it. <laughs> that was, you, you nailed it, really. Um, yeah. Listen, Gary, the overall great pal of ours, of course, Gary, great, great snooker man. It, the overall point, is one that is debated across snooker, I think. Some people do not think this is the right way to start a season in a low-key way like this. Um, I have to say I, I'm not in, enormously bothered. And I suppose the reason I am is, to me, it's the one it's the one season, if you like, summer, autumn, winter, spring, that I, I don't really regard as a, as a snooker season summer. I mean, listen, it's good that snooker's taking place in summer, and we'll talk about it. But for me, it's a bit like football. I've never, my dad always never liked August football. And I never, I, I was always with him on that. I always think it's too early August. I like September football. And I'm a, 
I'm not dissimilar with snooker. Uh, quite a big tournament in August is fine. We've got one coming up, of course. But I always think, come September, that's when it really gets into the heart. So that's why I'm not personally enormously bothered. I think you're right about ITV. I mean, you know, there's so much great sport on at the moment, isn't there? Including on ITV, actually. The Tour de France is on ITV. The Women's World Cup starts this week. That's on ITV. Uh, various, you know, all manner of you know top sport, really, uh, on the channel. They've got quite a good mo- motorsport seem to be on all the time. So I think that, that they, they would definitely say, no, we don't want it now. We want it in November when the Knights are drawing in, when, yeah, there's some big sport in November, of course, but I, I think that I'm right in saying they have that the midweek in that November slot mostly to itself, don't, don't they really, on ITV, certainly sports-wise. They get those big audiences. I always say it, I know, but Alan McManus says the start of the winter swing. And that's what that's what the Champion Champions feels like now to, to me as well. I'm sure to many fans, it feels like, yeah, I mean, the Knights have been drawing in for a while by then, of course, but it feels like it really is. The clocks have gone back then and we're into that sort of classic sort of late autumn into the winter, that sort of heart and soul of the snooker season. You know, there's, you know, wrapping up warm at home. I'm getting over romantical, but you know what I mean. It's all, <laughs> yeah. that's um that that's kind of it. And yeah, I don't, I, I just don't think. I think I don't want to say a waste. But it would waste a tournament because let's face it, we had a, that British Open in August went down pretty well, and then they got quite good. They got quite half decent viewing. They didn't get good viewing figures as they would get in the autumn. They didn't, but it was still okay. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that we could get a decent tournament in the summer on television. But I think something that's become as high profile and as sort of big and special as the champion of the champions, I don't think it would feel right in summer for me. I think it would have to, you know, it, it feels right in the slot it's established. And also let's say that we're often banging the drum. And I think correctly for the fact that we don't nail down these venues and timings enough and the successful tournaments, not all the time, but a lot of the time are the ones that, have got that established nature about them. Look at Belfast, great venue, same time of year. And that's part of the reason why it's such a roaring success and maybe the most successful of all the home nations, because it's got a fixed time. The others are a bit more nomadic so and, and a bit more sporadic, if I can say those two words to describe it. And I think the champion of champions has got the, the ideal slot. That's the way I'd say it. A lot of waffling there, Phil. I hope there was <laughs> sense among that waffle. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. And um, I suppose the Championship League as well, that's if it takes like a month to play. It's the, the summer's the only time that will fit in, really, if, if you want to keep it. Um, so I suppose you, that will have to stay there. I suppose you could put in another event as like a big curtain raiser, maybe a small inter- invitational event. But then I don't know. There's a lot of players that would not welcome more of those. Really, <laughs> they would only want a big ranking event. So yeah, um, it is a low key slow start season, but. You know, I spoke to some players who like it like that as well. I don't know we're sort of talking about it from players' points of view, fans' point of view, but um, players like to sort of ease into it because they won't have done a lot of practice. And a lot of these early frames, especially when you see uh, our players are a long way from their best. So that might be weird if that was a, a very big, very important tournament um, at the start of the season, but then I guess they'd practice more. But yeah, I think the debate will rumble on. Um, yeah, I mean, I, they stuck in a new tournament to kick off the season then great. I'm not going to complain about that. Yeah, I don't think anyone would. Um, but you've got to find all the correct things, broadcasters, the venues and everything, as always. Well, 
it has generally just come to my mind while we while we were talking. Now I wasn't planning to say this, but I've said it before on here certainly, and I do I do honestly think it that I I think snooker should be able to nail a proper team event, and I don't quite know why they and we haven't. I mean, it's it's not that hard. Sounds ridiculous, of course it's hard, but you know. I really think there could be a good one. We, we see how, how well it works in pool, for example. I don't mean it's going to be something as big and as special as the Moscone Cup, but it could be something good. You know, all the players from all the different countries we have, I just think, I know we've had various World Cups over the years, even going back to when I was a boy growing up, there was always that uh, sort of team event that always was went down quite well. Uh, I just think, to me, that would be something that would be ideal for the start of the season. I think we could really get behind that. But anyway, that, that's... um. Yeah, I don't know if you've got anything to say on that. I, I think a team event is something we, we're sort of missing, a, a properly run, really interesting one. Yeah, yeah, and that would be a nice way to... Because to, it would obviously be non-ranking, and while it would be serious, it wouldn't be the most serious. Um, and it could be made quite glamorous and a good advert for the sport as well, bringing in uh, countries that don't get too much uh, you know, shine over the, the season normally. So, yeah, no, that would be good if... Uh, if they can nail down the format, I, I, I agree completely. I think everyone would like to see an in, uh, like a properly interesting, engaging version of a team event. So, yeah, that would, that would be a great way to uh, kick off the season. Well, you know the rules, don't you, Phil? We, we say something on this podcast, and then about three weeks later, it's actually brought in. So, let me just <laughs> put a diary. Um, so, on around about August the 7th, paper diary, of course, old school here for you, um, we can expect some kind of announcement along those lines about the team event. And of course, it'll be, it'll be all the idea of World Snooker Tour. We all know that. Um, let's move on, Phil, to Phil Spivey, who says, Hi, Phil and Nick. Loving the podcast. Great to hear quality snooker chat over the relatively quiet summer months. I was just wanting to weigh in on the discussion that crops up regularly about the length of matches. I'm a huge fan of the longer matches and would love to see the UK Championship return to best of 17s, even if it was just from the last 16 or quarterfinals. Or perhaps one of the returning Chinese events could adopt longer matches throughout the tournament. With the World Championship, it should remain as it is. Some have said the semi-finals are too long. However, I feel the current length is perfect as it makes the semis and final feel like its own tournament. On the other hand, I don't agree with suggestions that best of sevens are some kind of lottery. The better player should be able to make their class and experience tell, even over that relatively short distance. Judd Trump, especially in his great run between 2019 and 2021, was able to do just that. Also, it means that two matches per table can be played in each session, which is perfect for the in-person and TV audiences. Anyway, keep up the good work, Phil Spivey. And thanks for co- pronouncing it correctly last time. It's usually 50-50 where the people do. Thank you, Phil. Good to hear from you. Um, yes, I think um, it's hard to disagree with anything you say there, really. One thing that did come to mind on the best of sevens, no, they're not a lottery, totally agree. You know, the best players you nearly, usually, nearly always perhaps come through them. But it did make me think again, you know, that's almost one of the great, achievements of modern snooker judge trump having that run isn't it really because although they're not a lottery you have to hit the ground running if you don't you're in trouble you say you lose the first couple two nil down to the best of seven heavens that kind of thing you know can really 
weigh heavily on a player. So for him to have that kind of run in best of sevens was just a, the most marvellous effort. But as for the whole email, I can't find anything to challenge Phil on there. It's good good common sense. We always look forward to good common sense from our punters here, Phil, and there's more of the same from another Phil. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, everyone likes long matches, but I think everyone accepts that we can't have them all the time because there simply wouldn't be enough time. And having less of them makes them all the more special when they do come around. So, uh, yeah, um, I, I suppose you just get used to it. I guess when the, all the best of sevens came in, there was you know, quite a lot of uproar to an extent, but people are used to it now. Um, and they don't feel, you know, I suppose they can be done in an hour. Sometimes someone rumps to a 4-0, but you get some great best of sevens. And actually, Judd and that run did a lot of them. I remember a lot of times where he was sort of 3-0, 3-1 down. Yeah, you know, like, oh, here it comes, and then he would pull it out. Um, and I think that's sort of what he's... He sort of just had that unbeatable vibe for a bit, doesn't it? And that was in his head, just so confident, and also in his opponent's head that you're like, bloody hell, I'm never over the line here. And that's sort of what he's lost. He's not become a... You don't become a bad player by any stretch, but you just, it's just those little sort of um, mental things in your head and in your opponent's head that can change, and that's why he's... You know, not doing quite so well now. But, um, yeah, no, agree with everything from Phil there. You can't really disagree with much, I don't think. Indeed. Yeah, I remember now that, wasn't there a tournament where he kept being 3-1 down all the time? There was like four mm. or five in a row, I think. I don't remember what it was now. But, yeah, it was it was a really terrific effort. And uh, it's Darren Cottrell next, sir. Yeah, and just a message from Darren saying, I really hope this is the season Jack Lasowski finally wins his first ranking tournament. He has to do it soon, surely. I have a feeling that when he does win one, it will be a really big tournament too. Um, yeah, I mean, we've been, I feel like we've been saying it for a while. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. You know, nothing's guaranteed. I'd be stunned if he doesn't win more than one tournament over his career. He's got plenty of time left. He's very, very good. Um, it'll come, I'm pretty sure. You know, you can't, you can't say anything's guaranteed, but I'm pretty sure it's coming soon. <laughs> yeah, I know what Darren means about the really big one. There, 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 yeah, there's something there in that. You never know, of course. David Gilbert, of course, you know, was one of those that, that maybe challenged for that that tag that no one really wants. Although in a way, it's a compliment, I suppose. The best player never to win what he won in the Championship League, maybe the smallest event. So it's not always that you take whatever you get. But I mean, Jack's threatened at the big ones. He's threatened at a lot of them actually, and he just, you know, he is showing that maturity. One thing came to my mind when I was thinking about this. People, a lot of people, quite a lot of people do say that that they think Jack is a bit overrated and maybe by us in the media he's overrated a bit. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, maybe, but not by much. He is still a top player. We're not, mm. you know, we're not kind of, not making it up, that's not, we're not, you know, we're not dreaming up this player that's, you know, challenging for everything, and it's so exciting to watch. You know, the evidence is there, and he's he's he, you know he's he's got a good ranking, and he he challenges for a lot. So, listen, the law of averages are he, he'll win one, no question about it. I mean, there there has to be just has to be a week when the rest aren't quite firing. He's playing well as we know he can. He's got that extra maturity now. He just wins it. What was that semi? Was it last season? Was it Allen in the UK? I can't, uh, I can't yeah, that. he Alan. lost in the UK semi, and then in the. Grand Prix semi did to Alan as well, wasn't it? And that was a that was you know should's a big word, but you felt he almost probably should have won that really against Alan. He he just didn't quite have it 
think Alan himself may have said that he he was involved at that in that time in more of those crunch matches. Of course, Alan had a brilliant season last time out. So that's that's the way it goes. But you know, superb player. So I said before, you know, he's one of those that's just when he's on song, he's he's like nobody else on the tour actually. But those you know, obviously times when he's playing at that very very high sort of genius type level of few and far between. But you know, if he you know he said he. He tends to be sort of grinding down more and more most seasons and really applying himself. I'm, I'm sure it will come, and uh, I think I think it's say we we all hope so, don't we, Phil? All of us in snooker, we 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 love it. We'll love it when he does it. Yeah, I mean, he's a real nice guy on top of that. So I think everyone that's why everyone supported a lot of people support him. And yeah, I think a lot of it is sort of the eye test as well. You know, it was, it was like how a lot of people spoke about Zhao Zintang before he'd started winning anything. Um, you know, I think he'd been to like one quarter final, but you'd hear you'd hear established pundit saying there's a future world champion there so it's not always about you know the actual results it's about watching him and how easy it makes it look and the difficult things that they can do very simply and Lasowski's into that category you know he's he's a bit like Zintong uh, in the way he plays so yeah it's part of that um, and yeah I mean almost having his sort of consistently high ranking without winning a tournament is even more impressive than winning a tournament because we know how top heavy the money is and the ranking points are um, if you come away with a trophy. So for him to be uh, consistently in the top 16 for quite a long time now without picking up a trophy is it, it almost even more impressive. Yeah, no, you absolutely nailed it. That's a you know, good way of summing it up. Well, that's it for correspondence now. Keep it coming to us, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at talkingsnooker. We still do really need it in these quieter months. You know, there's not... Champions League coming to an end now and then there's a bit of a sort of gap again. And so we really, you know, we, we like to fill in the gaps when we're sort of wanting to sort of uh, boost the timing as a certain episode's up. So do keep that uh, correspondence coming, please. Talkingsnooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at Talkingsnooker. And again, not something we ask for a lot, but we have said on social media and we'll say now, if you can leave us a good rating and a review, particularly on Apple, that we will be very grateful. We've had a couple of lovely reviews in the recent days, actually. So thank you for those. If you can do that on Apple Podcasts, it'll be much appreciated. Any other business, Phil? I know you've been watching uh, Barry Hearn. Uh, he's ne- he's not usually entertaining, is he? Was he was he all right this time? Was he turned? Did, did he? Uh, you know, was he good value for a change? Yeah, strange. Turned it on for, for you know, which is unusual for him. Yeah, he was on. Uh, I'm sure some people have watched it already. He's on Stephen Henry's uh, YouTube channel, which is just like must see viewing now. They're all so good. Um, and yeah, certainly wasn't going to miss uh, Barry on there. Um, Stephen went over to Romford to film with him and they did the usual chat while they played a frame of snooker, um, which was, yeah, really excellent. There's all sorts going on in there, but there are a couple of sort of newsy lines really from Barry. He was, he made a prediction. He said in the next 12 months, he expects to see six tournaments in China, at least one in the Middle East. And he said for the first time ever, prize money would go over 20 million pounds. So yeah, you're never quite sure with Barry how much is promotional, how much is actually factual. Um, but, you know, pretty good, pretty good pro- predictions. You know, the players on tour would be delighted with that um, if that all came to, uh, to pass. Um, and then he was talking about the Crucible. Stephen was asking if he'd let it ever leave, the World Championship ever leave Sheffield. And Barry said similar to what he said during the last World Championships. And uh, he said, you know, now Eddie is sort of, his son Eddie is sort of in charge. The odds have shortened on it leaving because he's much less of a snooker fan. And it will be making business decisions rather than um, emotional decisions, as it were. But Barry's still pushing. And he said he is trying to sort of put pressure on Sheffield City Council. And 
I can't remember how exactly how he worded it. You'll have to listen to it. But he wants them to build a new a, a new venue, about two two and a half thousand seats, and they can call it the Crucible. Um, but it sounded like that is his preferred move, and that's what he wants to happen. So stay in Sheffield at a new venue. Um, how likely that is, what stays there in, don't know. But that's what he was saying. So interesting stuff. Well worth a, a watch on Stephen's YouTube channel. Oh, that's that's excellent. Yeah, I'm not sure what I think about that really because, I mean, Sheffield is a wonderful city. Your city, home city film, we all love going there so much. But I don't know that. I don't know. This is for others to say. Maybe you can, you know, write and have your say. But the magic, in a way, is the crucible. I mean, I can mm. make magic in a new building, but I don't know. I, I feel a bit. I have to give that some thought. I think, and uh, if you want to have your say, you know, talking snooker on Twitter or talking snooker at yahoo.com. Yeah, absolutely. I think other people have said the same as well. It's it is the crucible as much as and yeah. Now I'll big up Sheffield as much as anyone, but it's the crucible that is the crucible, isn't it? Um, so yeah, we've mentioned a few times if we could expand the crucible, maybe that would be the option because I'm sure like sticking up a new venue somewhere is not an easy task, especially where it is. There's crucibles bang in the middle of Sheffield City Centre. You're not going to build a new venue anywhere near there, really. There's just not space. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, it was just interesting to listen to him speak about that, and that sounded what his preferred option was, if possible. So we'll see what happens. Good man. Well, we've done just over the hour, I think. So that's that's kind of what we aim for on this, on this particular episode. We had a marathon with John, of course, but I think hope people will understand that for obvious and, indeed, for good reason. Well, I do want to say that, but we had a cracking couple of days. I think landmark days in our years, uh, didn't we? And Just before John joined us. I always saw Bruce Springsteen for the first time in my life. Now, that was bloody special, I can tell you. What charisma that man has, my goodness me, and uh, what energy and just what a, what a showman. After the concert, I walked into a nearby pub, and within about two minutes, Chris Wilder and his wife came and sat next to me, and that was a very surreal but enjoyable hour listening to a, a, a very recent Premier League manager and his stories about Fergie and Klopp and Pep and Mourinho. It was just such a, you know, interesting and fun, fun evening. And then, of course, the next day you saw an absolute cracking day of Ashes cricket at Headingley. You're becoming quite a lucky mascot, actually. <laughs> uh, I was joking about us clubbing together and getting getting you down to Australia. You'd love that, wouldn't you? Get down to Australia next time. But that's serious, Phil. We should say, still alive. Two tests to play. Australia have just retained the women's ashes. That was a very, very close series in itself. But as far as the men are concerned, England still have a fighting chance with two to play. Yeah, it's like they weren't worried about the weather in Manchester. It's not reliable at the best of times, is it? That side of the pennant island. So we'll see how they get on. But yeah, no, it's great. I love going to always get to Headingley whenever available. And uh, it was <laughs> it was as good as ever um, going on the Sunday. Saw some great action. So yeah, it's been... Uh, been a great summer sport really hasn't it i mean it is we're in the middle of july now and it's always you know for those of us that love sport like we do sports fanatics really and you know sports journalists writing and talking about it and just just enjoying it so much it's just you know special we've just seen wimbledon haven't we what a men's final that was i think i saw viewing figures of uh, 11 million a, a peak i saw a headline flash up this morning here in the uk carlos alcaraz of course Famous win for him, beating the great Novak Djokovic. It's Open Championship Week at Royal Liverpool, so one of the great events in sport coming up. Climax of the Tour de France. Women's World Cup getting underway in Australia and New Zealand. We'll enjoy that for the next month. We're in the heart of the F1 season. There's big athletics in London coming up. 
that Smashing Darts tournament, which you, of course, will follow closely for the world match play in Blackpool. I always enjoy keeping tabs on that. So I think what we're getting at is snooker really having to fight its corner, which again reflects back on what we were saying about um, you know how how we start the season with that email in from Gary earlier. But I think it will get a look in this week, won't it? Maybe not in a very big way, but in its own inimitable way, I would have thought, because we have got this climax of the Championship League. We'll enjoy tuning in for it. We know plenty of you will too. And again, we'll say, Phil, when we're next on this podcast, we'll know the first ranking event winner of the 23-24 season. And should we go and watch the snooker? We're always talking about it. Let's go and bloody watch some of it. (laughs) Yeah, it's on right now, so let's go do it. Uh, Mark Williams in action, so always a treat. Yeah, let's go do that. Thanks for listening, as always. Keep your thoughts coming, everybody. Tweet us at Talking Snooker or email talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. And I will indeed see you next time, Phil. Yeah, always a pleasure. Speak to you soon. Cheerio to you, sir. And uh, thank you ever so much for your company, your reaction to the John Higgins episode. Keep your thoughts on any snooker matter coming to us. We'll be back next time to reflect on the climax of the Championship League. For now, for Phil and myself, cheerio. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.